Claudia Ryan. Hello, friends. Those students who were in the office yesterday did experience the cupcake. Wait a minute. I only got one? Yeah, I had these ones that I put lemon zest in and a hint of olive oil, and I didn't put any chocolate icing on them. They were fantastic. So, yeah, people ate really well yesterday. Watch your back, Shauna, all I have to say. That's fair. That's fair. And those of you that are just tuning in who have never heard Claudia speak, she's not actually threatening me. We are um, friendly. Or am I? When it comes to cupcakes. So yeah, if you're tuning in, I don't know whether or not Claudia is threatening me or not. But what I can say is that once upon a time, she was my LSAT student and she did so well at the LSAT. She worked so hard, worked through a lot of ups and downs that I think we all experience when we're preparing for this really big exam. And I don't know if you remember or blocked out when we did role questions. What well, do you remember? I literally blocked out that entire year That's of my I life. Thought, yeah. I was going to misquote Nietzsche here and say the LSAT, like women, makes the highs higher and the lows lower. So you don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get there. Uh, it'll maybe we'll we'll shake something loose. Let's let's find out. All right. Well, let's get in today to role questions. It's really important to listen back to the prior episodes. We've already done a pair of episodes on conclusions and also agree-disagree questions. And in order to really do well with role questions, you have to be able to properly identify the conclusion of every argument. So make sure you listen back to episodes, I'd say six and seven for sure, before you listen to this one. Uh, All right, so let's get started with role questions. Role questions ask you to identify the role that a particular statement plays in an argument. And since there's only two parts to every argument, the role is essentially describing either a premise or a conclusion. And I know that sounds very simple, but it's really important to remember those basic structural elements. It doesn't matter which argument type we're looking at, whether it's causal argument by analogy, data sampling, or an abductive argument, there's still just a bunch of sentences that if you put them all the premises in order and have them lead to the conclusion, that's really everything you're going to see, just a bunch of premises and a conclusion. Maybe you'll have more than one conclusion. Maybe the way that the argument's structured might be two premises leading to a conclusion or one premise leading to a second premise leading to a third premise, leading to a conclusion. But still, in all the different structures I just laid out, all I heard was, and I don't know if you zoned out at this point because some people do when they hear me talk for more than a few seconds. Premise or conclusion. Exactly. That's it. That's all I heard. And that's all I wanted you to hear. You might have just heard that peanuts teacher, right? But everything else was premise and conclusion. And that is the takeaway from what I just said. The rest of today's lesson is learning how to find the jargon that distinguishes premises and conclusions. And that jargon is best understood by first identifying the argument types, because you're not going to see words like hypothesis. It's the hypothesis when you're looking at an argument by analogy. And you're not going to see it's the result when you're dealing with an argument by analogy. Similarly, you're not gonna see something like, it's the basis for an analogy in an answer choice if you're dealing with a causal argument. And so with that, let's start talking about that jargon in a little bit more detail. 
let's turn to causal arguments first. For causal arguments, if you've properly identified the conclusion and the premises in support of it, and the role question says, what role did that statement play when the author said, I generally get chocolate ice cream. Today, though, I'm in the mood for vanilla, so I'm going to get vanilla ice cream. What role did the statement, I'm in the mood for vanilla, play in that argument? That's a very traditional role question that's wrapped up in food once again because... What I about the part where like I'm in the food. mood for more cupcakes, Shauna? Okay, you know what? Let's turn to cupcakes. Okay, absolutely. I just finished a chocolate cupcake. However, I'm in the mood for another cupcake. Therefore, I will demand another cupcake. And the question is, what role did the statement, I'm in the mood for another cupcake play? Now, the first thing that we're going to do is figure out whether it was a causal argument, data sampling, or argument by analogy. So, Claudia, what, I mean, what do you think? Was I making an analogy? Was I comparing any two things? You were not. What about, and I think you guys can tell from process of elimination where we might be headed, was it data sampling? Was I gathering a bunch of research or talking about a control or the bias in how some study was conducted? Or asking the number of cupcakes that I want right now? No, you were not. I didn't ask you anything about that. No. Nor did I study. I didn't study how many cupcakes you ate today already and then conclude how many more you might consume so that I can budget accordingly. Only had one. I could eat at least a dozen more. Yeah, it, but it wasn't that. That's no. not what we talked about. We were just really talking totally causally. And the conclusion was that you wanted to demand more cupcakes, at least one more, right? Yes. <clears throat> and if I do the why test just to confirm I found the conclusion, right? Because I want to make sure I identify all my parts properly before I conclude what role the statement, I am in the mood for another cupcake, please, right? So why, how do I know that I'm going to demand another cupcake? Because I'm in the mood for cupcakes. Yeah, and it wasn't because I already ate another cupcake. It's, no. It, I mean, it's... I guess you could say it's part of it, right? But it doesn't technically, in this case, lead directly to the demand for the other. No, the knowledge that I have already consumed one cupcake is irrelevant. We just know that I want more cupcakes. That's fair. That's fair. So this is a causal argument. And so if we're asked, what role did the statement play that you're in the mood for a second cupcake? Well, you, you might see language that says it was the cause of the demand for another cupcake. You might say it was the fact that was relied upon to reach the conclusion. You might say it was the only factor that the author considered in reaching the conclusion. And so those words that I'm using to describe the premise, I heard cause, fact, factor. Those are premise jargon words. If you download the episode notes from today, you'll see a glossary of terms. And you'll also see this cool whiteboard that lays out the different jargon for premises and different jargon for conclusions for each different argument type. It's a really awesome tool. My students love it so much that when they go from not having it to having it or I have a current student who is trying to do role questions without this board. And she texted me. She said, hey, I'm having a hard time with it. I said, well, did you look at the whiteboard? And she goes, oh, I forgot. And then an hour later, Shauna, you would not believe it. I'm doing so well right now. I can't believe I forgot about the whiteboard. I never had the whiteboard, you guys. So this is what happens. When I find that my old students are angry that they didn't Deprived. have things that existed. Denied. This is one of those things. So Disallowed. Download the episode notes. Uh, Claudia is going to finish them up for us after the end of the episode to make sure that they 
perfectly line up with everything that we talked about. And then um, you can grab them at our website, GinsbergAdvancedTutoring.com. Claudia, I am loving this tea I'm drinking today. Me too, but you know what's more important than tea right now? Um, nothing. Busting myths. Oh, you want to bust a myth? I think it's time for a myth buster, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of the students that we work with have some pretty severe test anxiety, and oftentimes that's exacerbated because they hear a lot of different information that's generated on social media or in test prep classes. And so there's some Idiot myths. Friends. <laughs> there's some myths that get generated that can really exacerbate anxiety. So first myth that we're going to bust today, liking an answer is a good enough reason to select it. Liking an answer is a good enough reason to select it. Well, liking things is how I pick, you know, food, friends, which dog I'm going to pet when I see multiple dogs at a time. It's not really a good LSAT strategy, though. Yeah, I like to think about that more as a process of selection rather than a process of elimination. And you have to be much more cutthroat on test day. Oftentimes when people like something, what happens is they've already selected a logical answer, one that has good reason for it to be right. And then as you finish going through what should be a process of elimination, you're actually conducting a process of selection and you move through the rest of the answer choices and you get caught on one because you like it. You don't know why you like it. You don't do anything about that like. You just freeze and suddenly you have two that you're vacillating between. And in those situations, I'm sure you can relate. Sometimes we end up circling that answer we liked instead of the one that was correct with legitimate reason. And so rather than saying, I like this answer choice, when you come to one that you quote unquote like, instead say, I'd like to test this answer choice. Test it. Awesome. That's how you know you got it right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's proof. Like there's, there's substance to your claim. I like it. Even if it was a person that you wanted to date and you're like, I like it. And I don't know who the it is, but I like it. That person over there, I like it. Okay, if you're walking with a friend, your friend's going to want to know why. Do we ever just say I like it and get away with that without having to delve deeper into what we mean or why or where that joy is coming from? So if you can't get away with it on the street, you can't get away with it on the LSAT. At this point in my life, people just roll their eyes at me when it comes to dating. So... Maybe that's a bad analogy. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to give dating advice. I'm trying to give test strategy advice. Please don't take any of this. You know, the whole, if it doesn't work, in, now I don't know. That's not, that's not good advice maybe at all. But I've the myth. i her to her core. The myth is still busted, is it not? Sure is, guys. All right. So uh, if, if you like something, test it until it either goes away or it's the correct one. Mm-hmm. So don't say, I like this answer choice. Do say, I'd like to test this answer choice. All right, let's get back into the role questions. Uh, before we do a practice question, which we're about to, I want to talk a little bit more about the way that premises and conclusions get connected. So you never really see something as basic as a single premise leads to a single conclusion. We should all be so lucky. We usually see something more like an A, like a statement or premise A leads to premise B leads to premise C, but they're not necessarily in that order on the paper. You can analyze the transition words that introduce the sentences, though, and rearrange them into a coherent argument where the last sentence ends up being the conclusion. You can also symbolize it 
on your paper so that the first premise is represented by A, the second premise represented by B, and the conclusion represented by C. And if you can envision, if you're driving or listening on the metro, wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you can envision an A and then an arrow to the right and then a B and then an arrow to the right and a C, notice that A and C are not touching, which means that if you were asked the role that A plays in this argument, you could select an answer choice that says, well, it provides indirect support for C. It doesn't provide direct support for C. The only thing that that provides direct support for C is B. And similarly, the only thing that provides direct support for B is A. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So this uh, A to B to C argument, I would argue that that's an abductive argument, right? Because it's a line of reasoning from A to C. Um, there's one other way that we could we could talk about this. If you're asked about B, this is one of the most common role answer choices and th- that ends up being correct too. And it's also one of the longest, like the wordiest. So a lot of people don't select it. But if you're asked what role B plays, listen carefully, it's got two parts to its role. It first wears the hat of having support from A. So B is supported by A because B is the conclusion of A. It follows A. It's the result. But B in turn provides support for C. And so if you were asked what role B plays, you need to find an answer choice that contains both of those requirements, both of those hats. Support from A, support for C. And then finally, imagine that you had two different pieces of evidence, both of which were leading to a conclusion, that there was premise A and premise B, and together they led to C. In that case, if you were asked what role A plays, well, A gives some direct support for C. There's nothing in between A and C. They have a direct connection. But it's not all the support for C, because what about B? In an example that I gave way back in one of the earliest episodes, I talked about necessary and sufficient conditions of causal arguments. And I believe I gave the example of needing a rabies shot. And the requirement to need a rabies shot is that you must have been bitten by a dog and the dog must have not already had its rabies vaccine. And it was two requirements that needed to be met for you to get the rabies shot. And in that case, if we asked what role the statement that I got bit by a dog plays in the overall argument in which the conclusion is I've got to get my rabies shot, I'd say it gives some direct support for their need for the shot. But so too does the evidence that the dog has not had its rabies shot already. So it's two things. And it wasn't that A led to B. That was the first example that we gave where it was that abductive argument A to B to C. This is A and B together as a joint pair are both necessary to lead to the conclusion. Is rabies the one where you turn into a werewolf? Is that what's going to happen? Yeah, that's exactly what happens when you get bit by a dog. It's exactly what what happens. Not busting any myths today. No. You knew that, though. Who doesn't turn into a wolf after getting bit by a dog? Speaking of animals, let's talk about dinosaurs. All right. Paleontologists recently excavated two corresponding sets, sets of dinosaur tracks. One left by a large grazing dinosaur, the other by a smaller predatory dinosaur. The two sets of tracks make abrupt turns repeatedly in tandem, suggesting that the predator was following the grazing dinosaur and had matched its stride. Modern predatory mammals, such as lions, 
usually match the stride of prey they are chasing immediately before they strike their prey. This suggests that the predatory dinosaur was chasing the grazing dinosaur and attacked immediately afterwards. Which one of the following most accurately describes the role played in the argument by the statement that the predatory dinosaur was following the grazing dinosaur and had matched its stride. All right, so you're probably thinking, okay, first thing I have to do, step one, gotta identify the type of argument it is. Did you pick up on the fact we were talking about paleontologists and they were looking at dinosaur tracks and then they provided a premise about modern predatory mammals such as lions. And after talking about the dinosaurs and then talking about the modern mammals, they reached a conclusion, and it was a suggestion that came from talking about these two different groups. Well, gosh, Claudia, what type of argument does that sound like? Sounds a lot like an analogy, Shauna. It sure does. Our job then for an argument by analogy is to consider the fact that premises would be the basis for the analogy. The conclusion then would be drawing an analogy or from an analogy drawn, reaching another conclusion after that. The question is asking about the statement that the predatory dinosaur was following the grazing dinosaur and had matched its stride. Well, that statement came right in the middle of the argument here where it, it fit in. The two sets of tracks make abrupt turns repeatedly in tandem, suggesting that the predator was following the grazing dinosaur and had matched its stride. Modern predatory mammals, such as lions, usually match the stride of prey they are chasing immediately before they strike those prey. And then the conclusion, this suggests that the predatory dinosaur was chasing the grazing dinosaur and attacked immediately afterwards. So the statement that we were asked to, to focus on was a suggestion that preceded talking about the predatory mammals such as lions. And both of those groups were talked about with respect to the term of the argument about following prey and matching its stride. So what that first part was, was developing the basis of an analogy. And the correct answer, C, and by the way, if you're doing your homework at the end of today's episode, and you can see your homework in the episode notes, this is from Prep Test 62, Section 4, Number 4. Answer C says, It provides the basis for an analogy used in support of the argument's overall conclusion. And, and there it is. We knew it was an argument by analogy. The word analogy is in the answer choice. There isn't another answer choice that talks about analogy. In fact, A talks about helping to establish the scientific importance of the argument's overall conclusion. Well, guys, it's not data sampling. Why would I care about scientific importance? B says, it's a hypothesis that's rejected. Da, 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 da. Why do I care about a hypothesis? That sounds too scientific. D, it is presented to counteract a possible objection. Well, let's not confuse analogy with counteracting. It's not even a disanalogy if you're counteracting something. E says it's the overall conclusion of the argument. Well, shoot, I mean, I know how to spot a conclusion. That's the first thing I do after I identify the argument type. This is an argument by analogy. The conclusion is this suggests that the predatory dinosaur was chasing the grazing dinosaur and attacked immediately afterwards. And the statement that I was asked to analyze isn't that statement. So it can't be E because it's not the conclusion. So that brings us to the end of this guided practice. You know, we could keep going on and on with role guided practice, but then this would be a long episode. And I think this is already pretty dry, this role stuff. I think it's probably time for... Are we going to bust a myth? I think it's time for a myth buster. I think we're going to come back for one more episode and do some more role questions to make sure that you all can really handle your homework. 
You guys are so lucky. So our second and final myth of the day. All right, is everybody ready? Let's bust this myth wide open. Bust it. Reddit will definitely help reduce your test day anxiety. Reddit will definitely help you reduce your test day anxiety. I talk to my students after they take their tests. Some of them test after looking at Reddit to see what types of things students have to say about the difficulty level of questions on test day and whatever your you know moral position is on doing that or not doing that. I was interested in noting the fact that my students were more anxious on the sections that they already knew students were going to be anxious about. And so it kind of begs the question. Let's say you're testing a few days after someone else and you think looking at Reddit is going to ease your mind. Well, according to my students, their anxiety was double in those sections that they already anticipated being really difficult. And if you're going to lose your mental clarity and know that you could possibly lose your mental clarity, that doesn't necessarily result in an anxiety-free experience. Certainly studying as hard as you can every single practice test will ease your mind because you'll be so well-equipped to handle anything that comes your way. But thinking that looking at what other students have talked about is going to help you is as dangerous as talking to students in a bathroom and asking them how they're doing on their test, not knowing if they're looking at the same questions as you, not knowing if they had the same prep as you, not knowing whether or not they were being strategic. It's very dangerous to talk to others when we're trying to go through an independent preparation and stay confident and clear-headed. So whether you use Reddit or not, just be aware that some students feel more anxiety after looking, not less. In summation, Your Honor, run your own race, guys. Run your own race. Run your own race. And with that, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of LSAT Boss. Sorry this one was so dry. Come back for some more role questions next time. And if you like what you heard, leave a review. Share an episode that was especially interesting to you or helpful to you with a friend who's also studying LSAT or considering the process. And don't forget to go to the website and download some episode notes so that you can do your homework. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye, buddies! I just wanna be free, fly away, birds and bees, fly through the trees, right by you, you by me.